Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Nottingham Forest are back in the big time. The 20th team in next season's Premier League was decided under the arch at Wembley yesterday as after 23 years, the Nottingham side booked their return to the top flight. But how will they fare back amongst the big boys for the first time this century? Talking of the big boys, football clubs in England don't come much bigger than Manchester United and new boss Eric Tenag has a big job on his hands too. He'll take over from Ralph Rangnick, who United have confirmed now won't be staying on in a consultancy role at Old Trafford. Did the interim manager decision pay off or was it all a bit of a mess? We'll get stuck into that shortly. And of course, there's been plenty of reaction to Saturday's Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid. The Spanish side beating the Reds by a goal to nil. But sadly, all of the discussion has been around the scenes off of the pitch. There were some serious problems in Paris. French authorities are blaming Liverpool fans. British police say Liverpool fans are well behaved, as do many journalists. There are also accusations of fake tickets and French locals jumping the barriers. We'll try and piece together what we know about what was meant to be the showpiece event of the football season, but in the end descended into chaos. So much to go out on today's Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast, down to three days a week at the moment as we're out of the season, rather than your usual daily fix. But nonetheless, there's lots to say in the company of Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor today. Morning, boys. How's your weekend? Morning. Yeah, uh, wasn't too bad. Wasn't quite, quite good. I was going to dub you some sort of like Chuckle Brothers duo, but it's more like the, the Sniffle Brothers today. I think both of you are feeling a little bit under the weather, aren't you? <laughs> I, know, I mean, this weekend's been a bit bed bound, but obviously I picked up a little bit on Saturday night um, and then slowly slumped into the Sunday. So we're recovering, but I think we're always sniffling on a Monday. I think the pollen count just seems to want to go high just before a podcast. Literally, there's a podcast, the three of us have got breathing problems. A bit strange, isn't it? It's like all three of us are really severely bad at breathing for some reason. We should start another podcast just us three, because it's literally just called Breathing Problems. Yeah. There's definitely Sounds a like some sort of like somewhere. 
Yeah, it sounds like some sort of drama, like a, a dramatized series. We'll pitch it to like Radio Four or something. See if they fancy taking it on as a serial um, yeah. in in the next few years. Channel Five will have it. They've had worse. Oh, Channel Five take anything. Um, well, <laughs> let's talk about what happened this weekend. Welcome to the podcast, and welcome Nottingham Forest back to the Premier League. That's where we're going to begin yesterday's game at Wembley, where Forest were promoted to the top flight after a twenty-three year absence. They beat Huddersfield Town one nil in the Championship playoff final under the arch in the National Stadium and a great day if you're a Nottingham Forest supporter. Many people have said, Joel, that the history of the club and the you know the things that Forest have done and won in the past have meant that they've been a bit of a, a miss to the Premier League. But in my lifetime, I can't really remember them ever being a top flight club. But after 23 years, they're back. No, it's the same for me as well. Um, I think a lot of neutrals probably would have liked Nottingham to go up rather than Huddersfield. I think it's just, I know it's very simplistic, but just the, the fact of having teams going up and down constantly and not really maintaining their place. I think it's really nice to see another side who have been away for a good amount of time and are going to actually try and stake the claim again just as we've seen with Brighton Brentford for example where you know this season was the first time in it for probably god knows how long and they've managed to really have a good uh, campaign and I think I saw something now which is that every single Champions League slash European Cup winner is in the Premier League now which is for the first time um, I think in a long time so it's it's all the big hitters in the in the league this time round, and I think it's it's good for the league. I think to have just new teams who are going to try and maintain the position in there. But it was a it was a, the game itself was a difficult one, especially with those two uh, penalty calls, which John Moss seemed to want to go out on with a bang and not actually check the VAR screen. So um, I think yeah, it was it was a good game and I think a good occasion for Forest fans. You saw how packed there away and that well, their home section was their half of the, the Wembley Stadium it just shows how much they've probably been waiting for this moment I bet a lot of fans have never really have never seen their side in the Premier League so it's going to be something that I'm sure they're all waiting for anxiously yeah I mean as we say 23 years away from the top flight so if you're around that age or you know you could even argue up to about 30 years of age you probably won't remember your team in the top flight if you're a Nottingham Forest fan. So yeah, it's been a long way. It's been an arduous way. I think they've even dropped down into League One at times. And Joel mentions that history that Nottingham Forest have and they won't let you ever forget that they won the European Cup. I think twice it was, wasn't it? In the in the 1970s. You'll never, ever um, forget that as long as you know a Nottingham Forest fan. When they come up to the Premier League, I'm sure they're probably going to be favourites to go straight back down again. Marley, how at risk do you think they are of being relegated back to the Championship next season? Um, a massive risk, I think. To be honest, if you look at their squad, I don't see enough talent in it to keep it up. Um, I don't really know what Forrest's um, financial situation is like. I don't know whether they can go and pump you know, 80 or 100 million quid into the squad over the summer, but they are going to need to. They're going to need to be smart and, and, uh, and sort of roll with the punches to try and sort of scrimp and steal to get enough quality in that squad because at the minute I don't think it's anywhere near good enough but they do have a, a, a bit of a team ethic there and you know as long as you you seen it with Brentford this season they, they stuck together and they, they were nowhere near relegation um, in the end I think they finished 12th in the league so it can be done um, but they are going to need some reinforcements because you know the likes of you know Mark Yates and Joe Worrell and even players like Jed Spence and um, uh, what you call Surridge, the striker, and um, 
who's the other striker they had up front? Uh, Keenan Davis. They're not Premier League players, unfortunately. So you uh, you're gonna need something in the transfer market as well as as well as what you've got. Um, and they can they they they'll there will be players out there that will join that fight as well. I think um, there's it, there's initially been rumours of um, of Jamal Lascelles and and Carl Darlow going back to Nottingham Forest. Um, from Newcastle, um, I think that could be really smart business for them if they come and take them back seven or eight years after the after we we signed them from Nottingham Forest. So uh, that could bring them experience and a little bit of know how in the uh, in the ultimate fight against relegation because that's probably what they're going to be aiming for and trying to survive and pump money into the club for the next five years or whatever it's been. But uh, that that is the case with a new uh, newly promoted team. The first thing you got to do is just try and survive. How how however way you however way you can. Yeah, you're right, and I think that that is a great question. Whether they can keep hold of some of their better players as well. You mentioned those who maybe you don't think are quite up to scratch, but there are some that certainly are in my mind. Someone like Brennan Johnson, for example. Is he going to get poached by a, a different Premier League side, or is he going to kind of ride the season out with Forest next season? It, it's it's a question that certainly a few people will have. And in terms of signing players for Nottingham Forest, the Premier League is obviously going to be an attraction, Marley. Players are going to look at this and think, OK, Nottingham Forest are a side with good history and they're in the Premier League. Do you think that that history has any relevance now in terms of attracting players to the club? I mean, look at our trophy cabinet. There's two Champions Leagues sat there, but is that really going to encourage the next big thing in La Liga or Serie A to make the jump from you know, the continent to Nottingham in a bid to help keep them up? No, not at all. Um, I think players who come to a newly promoted club just want to know what the relegation release clause is and uh, <laughs> and what money they're going to get every week because you've seen it with you see it with like Norwich and stuff, you know, they go and sign like Milot Rashica and uh, like that Lees Malou guy and it's like, you know, they they haven't needed to be convinced by Norwich's history. They're just coming because they want a go at the Premier League, and they don't really care who who it's for. They who like what history there is in the club. Like you can't convince a twenty year old, twenty five year old player to come and play for Nottingham Forest because they won a European Cup in nineteen eighty, and they used to have that, um, Brian Clough as a manager, and he was a legend. Like they just they they, they don't care. It's that it's a probably two generations but it's what it's at least one generation apart from from remembering it like we you you guys just said that you two don't remember Nottingham Forest in the Premier League one of my earliest memories in football is is that season where Nottingham Forest well I remember them a little bit but um I remember he used to have uh, Pierre Van Hoydonk up front and he was like the the guy who was like way above their station sort of thing like he was a the the jewel in the crown of of um of Nottingham Forest and the, all the rest of the team just weren't as weren't as good as he was but uh, they still got relegated and they never came back because I think that I'm not sure but the the finances weren't great uh, when they went down they took big gambles I think um and and didn't come back for what 20 23 years is it so you know it's um it's one of them where they need to learn from that in the past but with with recruiting new players I, I I think all players just want to know: Are you in the Premier League? Yes, right. I'll play for you. Like that's it. If you're buying a player from a mid-table French team or a you know the thirteenth place Spanish side, that's all they want to know, and that's uh, ultimately what it comes down to. 
Talking of players, whether they come or whether they go, keeping them is the job of Steve Cooper. And what a job he's done, the Nottingham Forest manager, when he took over at the beginning of the season from Chris Hewton after a few games. They were bottom of the table. They were in danger of going down to League One. He's taken them all the way up into the playoffs and now they've won the playoffs and they're in the Premier League. He deserves massive praise, Jill, for the job that he's done there. And a lot of people have said that they wouldn't mind him um, in the Premier League, whether that be with Forrest or somewhere else. He's won a lot of plaudits and understandably so. No, for sure. I mean, I think at the start of the season, they lost the first seven games, which put them or they put them bottom of the uh, championship at the very start. So that when it came to October time, it was looking very, very unlikely that they would even get anywhere close to the playoff positions. But considering, like you've mentioned, how long it's taken for them to get back 23 years, kind of similar circumstance of the way Leeds fell and then came back again. I know it was a little bit shorter of a period of time, but even still, I bet some fans were thinking, is this going to be another you know, 30, 40 year wait to actually try and get back into the top league again? Um, but now this is their, op- their opportunity to actually cement a place. And to be honest, it probably creates a really good sustainable foundation going forward because as we've seen with the teams who you know we like to call the yo-yo clubs, once they get this huge parachute payment which is injected into the club and it's, if it's managed rightly, even if they go down next season, they still are in a good position to go and bounce back up typically. Um, so... I think now that they've actually just secured that spot, it's a, it's a good sustainable jump for the future um, because I'm not sure how wealthy their owners are or if they're actually going to inje- um, invest a, a massive amount that some owners like to do. But um, if if they're on the right tracks and they can manage the money well, then I think it's, they're just in a good position all around, to be honest, regardless of what happens next season. I think the, the fans just want to see them in the Premier League and whatever happens, happens, and they'll manage it in the next season. But... I think it's just the case of just, you know, as we've seen, Forest have got a very rich history. So I'm sure they'll want to be trying to, you know, mix with the best again, which has been a long, long time away. You mentioned there about how most fans would be happy to see Forest back and a lot of neutrals wanted them back in the Premier League. Marley wasn't one of those people. I think you were quite clear that you wanted <laughs> Huddersfield to be back in the, in the Premier yeah. League. And you explained your reasons why then. But if you kind of take that out of it for a second, Marley, is it refreshing in a way to see someone that isn't Watford or Fulham or Bournemouth or Norwich coming up? Much like Joel said earlier about Brentford coming up and they've been a bit of a breath of fresh air. I suppose it is refreshing in that respect that there will be a new team to watch next season rather than the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah, probably. uh, You're probably right there. I think um, even though I would have preferred Huddersfield to get in, to the Premier League last uh, like yesterday, um, Nottingham Forest were one hundred percent the third best team in the Championship last year. Like it was, there was no doubt in my mind that they were beating everyone in that playoff uh, playoff run because they were just way better. They were way better than Luton and Sheffield United and Huddersfield. Like it wasn't even close, really. Like if you look at the the amount of points they've picked up since Cooper's been in charge, I think you know that would have been. That would have been enough for automatic promotion um, with an extra seven games if they took two points a game or one and a half points a game from that, that uh, extra seven games that he had. Um, they'd have gone up. They'd have gone up second, or maybe even I don't know what the gap was to first, but definitely second, um, and would have been not even needing the the playoffs. But yeah, it was. Um, it probably is refreshing. You know, Steve Cooper is has done a, a superb job. Um, I remember speaking to a Forest fan when he first came in and. 
he didn't know anything about him and he was like I, I don't know I don't know what to expect and I said well he got he got Swansea to the playoffs last uh, I think it was last year might have been the year before um, Swansea in the playoffs and then you look where Swansea finished this season they, they were like 17th in the championship or something so he can coach he's a very very good coach he's been in the England setups uh, the underage setups I think he's under 16s and 17s manager so he knows how to you know, he knows how to implement a system and get the best out of young players if if that's what you've got. And then you see Brennan Johnson becoming one of the hottest prospects outside the Premier League at twenty, twenty one years old, whatever he is. Um and, you know, it's not a it's not a coincidence. This is this is good coaching and uh you see players like Jed Spence, like let pretty much just binned off by Middlesbrough. Um and, you know, Forrest took him on loan. Young lad needs needs a bit of just needs a bit of coaching, a bit of love, um, and he's now been linked with twenty million pound moves here and there, and to to Premier League clubs and all the rest of it. So, you know, he's done a he's done a superb job, and they were definitely the best team who didn't get automatically promoted. They were they were way better than than Luton and Huddersfield and, and Sheffield United. So, fair play. But yesterday yesterday was a stinking game. I don't know if you two watched it. <laughs> it was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. Honest to God, but. You know, it doesn't matter. You don't need to be amazing all the time. You just need to get over the line, especially in the playoffs. Like at Wembley, when everything's a bit nervy and a bit, you know, you're never going to produce your best stuff. Um, sometimes it's just a, a bit of a pot shot that, that gets you there. And I think it was uh, James Garner who had the a shot which was pretty much doing nothing. And then it takes the deflection off uh, off the defender and flies into the net. And that's all you need. Yeah, I didn't watch it actually. I must admit, I was watching beach football in Barcelona yesterday instead. So I was, <laughs> I was enjoying that oh, wow. a little bit more than the championship playoff final. I was hoping we wouldn't talk too specifically about the game because I didn't see it. But one game that I did see whilst I was over in Spain and there were plenty of Liverpool and Real Madrid fans taking in the action was the Champions League final. And Marley mentions good coaches. Well, the official Premier League manager of the season is Jurgen Klopp. And he said to the Liverpool fans to book the hotel for next season's Champions League final, despite the fact that his side, of course, lost this one in Paris to Real Madrid. Now, we can talk about the game and what this means for Liverpool, but we're not going to do that because all of the focus, understandably, is on the scenes outside of the ground. That's all anyone's talking about, and we'll be doing the same after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast, which will tell you the truth isn't quite daily at the moment because it's out of season. So we're down to three a week on a Monday, a Wednesday and a Friday. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss those. We'll keep you right up to date with all the goings on in the Premier League, both on and off the field. And talking of off-field action... It was the Champions League final on Saturday and there was utter chaos at the Stade de France in Paris. Liverpool lost the game 1-0 to Real Madrid. Real Madrid winning their 14th Champions League title. Carlo Ancelotti, his fifth, the most ever for a manager. Um, But no one's talking about the game or the goal or 
the scenes on the pitch in terms of the celebrations. It was more what was happening outside the ground that people are talking about. And there are so many different accounts of what happened from fans and journalists who were there. If you're not so sure about what happened, it looks as if there has been a real issue with gates being closed, turnstiles being closed, too many people turning up, um, people trying to break in. There's been issues with fake tickets. There's been so many different accounts. It's impossible really to tell exactly what happened. There needs to be some sort of investigation, but we can try and piece together now exactly what we know so far. The British press say that the fans there, the Liverpool supporters, were well behaved. The French authorities disagree and so do UEFA. They say that the Liverpool fans are to blame for causing congestion due to turning up with fake tickets. What I thought was interesting was Andy Robertson, the Liverpool defender, after the game described it as an organisational shambles and he said that the fake ticket story wasn't true in some cases as actually one of his friends had a legitimate ticket that he got from Robertson himself and still wasn't allowed in because it was considered a fake ticket when I think Andy Robertson probably knows that it's legit considering he's got it from the club. So there are a few different stories here, Marley. It's hard to know exactly what to say without upsetting someone somewhere, but it was just chaos. And it's sad that, you know, the biggest game in the football season, in the European football season, is ending up in us talking about not a great game of football on the podcast, but the fact that there were people that had one of the worst experiences they've ever had going to a football match. Yeah, it's um, it's it's shocking. Shocking, isn't it? You know, we've all seen in the past twenty four hours, and um, well, thirty six hours, we've we've seen loads of uh, videos and video footage of of things um, which you would never want to see at, at football because you know you've seen we've seen the Sky Sports news report of uh, I think it was Carve Solacol outside the um, outside the the uh, Stade de France, and it was you know he was showing you the the vans that. Um, that the French police had to, they've decided to funnel, you know, thousands and thousands of Liverpool fans through, through into like a bottleneck. And that's ridiculous. Like, you know, have you, have you not seen things that have happened in the past with, when you do that, when you try and push so many people through into such a small place, you're asking for a disaster. And honest to God, it's a miracle. Nobody died in, in, in Paris because all, all you've got to do is, have one guy who's, you know, in his 60s, gets barged, gets trampled on, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, it taints, you know, that club's reputation again, you know. Like, I'd, you look at the footage, and I don't I don't believe Liverpool fans did anything wrong. It doesn't look like it. Obviously, we don't know the full, you know, the full story and, and every every single thing that happened. But you, when, you, when you see videos of, of um, a guy trying to put his ticket in the machine, and he looks up and gets met with... A bottle of pepper spray in the face, like what? What? What's that about? Like, what was the need? Like, and then the, like, it was so brazen as well. Like the 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 policeman sprayed him and then just walked off like casually, as if to say, "Ha, got I've got one." Like, what? What's that about? Like, the kid just looked up. He he just put his ticket in the machine, like like a, a barrier, and then he he he, he can't see for the next hour because he's he's been pepper sprayed and. There was, you know, there, there was the kids jumping over the fence and you look at them and they're clearly not Liverpool fans. You know, they're climbing over a 10 or 12 foot fence and, you know, they're all youths. They're all, you know, teenagers. Yeah. The reports are that it's young French lads that were doing that. Um, I mean, you're right in saying what you said a minute ago, which is 
from what you saw and i must echo that from what i saw and obviously i wasn't there but the the footage and the accounts of journalists and most fans the videos i've seen including someone who i know personally as you do mm. that were there um uh, you know the what we've heard and what we've seen suggests that the majority of liverpool fans were well behaved as everyone was suggesting but you know there's always going to be idiots and in this situation it looked like it wasn't in fact Liverpool fans or Real Madrid fans it was in, in some parts and the French sports minister has actually admitted this this morning Marley he said that it is a, a portion of young French people trying to sort of jib the gates jump over the fences and get into the game for free and that's caused yeah. a lot of problems as well well there's a um, I don't know if you've seen it it's sort of gone viral it's the, the Snapchat footage um, of a guy and he, he gets under he's a young French lad he's about 19 uh, maybe a bit older maybe like early 20s but he gets under the um the turnstile and then he knows someone on the other side like this woman who works there and i think he like gives her a hug and stuff and then he turns around and there's there's another dozen getting underneath the gates and it's just like how can you be this organizationally piss poor like i know that i know this final was pushed on france a little bit because it was meant to be in russia wasn't it but um still you know you're France, you're Paris, you 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 have big events like this, you have big sporting events, you know how to control them, or you should do. And then this has happened on Friday, on Saturday night. Um, so much, it was so bad that kickoff was delayed by was it thirty six minutes? And you know you're talking, it it could have been it could have been so much worse. I'm just glad it wasn't because, you know, it's uh, it would have left an absolute stain on on football to be honest, and and give football fans that that reputation that pretty much doesn't exist but when when the media spin it one way rather than the other you know the neutral looks at it and goes oh football fans are just ruining everything for everyone again nobody wants a big football event in their city because this is what they'll do they'll come and wreck the city and you know in the space of a few hours and they'll come in and you know set things on fire and, and fight each other and all sorts and wreck the city but you know nothing's nothing's happened like that it's the the local um, these youths, these little gangs mugging people, and 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 all sorts of stuff that they've tainted it. So we'll uh, we'll see what what the sort of fallout is for it over this this next week. But it's it's certainly not Liverpool fans' fault. I don't think. No, I totally agree. And you're right in terms of what this means for UEFA and what this means for Paris as a city, because Paris is meant to be hosting the 2024 Olympic Games. And, you know, are the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, going to be looking at this and thinking, well, if they can't control what's meant to be, you know, it's a high profile sporting event, but it was meant to be quite simple, really. Two sets of fans getting to a stadium. They host rugby matches, French rugby matches at the Stade de France, and there doesn't seem to be any trouble. But for whatever reason, it's descended into chaos in the Champions League final. Will people look at that and think, well, you know, is Paris somewhere I want to be going to watch a sporting event? Um, UEFA obviously are going to be under the microscope after what happened in the in the Euro 2020 final last summer at Wembley when loads of people broke in and caused problems there in that game between England and Italy. There's so much here in terms of things to unpick, Joel. And I think the key word is that it is investigation. There needs to be some sort of investigation. But because of the chaos and because of the conflicting reports, the French are blaming Liverpool fans UEFA similarly, the British press and the fans themselves are sticking up for themselves and rightly so. It's just almost going to be impossible to figure out truly what actually happened. Although we can take a pretty good guess, it's going to be so hard to definitively say this is what's happened and here's who's at fault. 
it is and it's going to be very unlikely that UEFA are going to have any kind of transparency when it comes to it because even when you looked at immediately when the game was postponed for 30 odd minutes they were saying that fans had arrived late I mean what fan arrives late to a Champions League final in the thousands it just didn't make any sense to me of course what you else have they got to do I know I mean you know, know it, it makes no obviously going to get there on time you, you can't write I know you can't write on the big screen oh sorry guys everyone's getting pepper sprayed outside so just give us 30 minutes like you can't do that of course but you can also word it in a way which doesn't automatically shift blame and try to cover up something straight away um, that's the first thing I disagree with, but it's just the whole. I, I started to sense a bit of unorganisation straight away about a few days ago when I read a report about the pitch, which was that they had to tr- uh, get th- twenty-five trucks to transport rolls of grass from the north of Spain all the way to Paris, and then relay it twenty-four hours before the Champions League final. I mean, if you're not going to be prepared, it's almost like they got told they were going to be hosting it days before. They've knew months in advance that they'd have to host this kind of event. And if they couldn't host it, I don't get why they took it on. It just makes no sense to me. And it, it just seemed like complete mayhem from the very beginning. Um, and I don't know if anyone saw last night as well, as Saint-Étienne, who just went down, they're probably the most historic club in France, probably the most successful club in, pr- in France. Have just been relegated to the second division, and the fans have gone straight on the pitch, attacking players, lighting fireworks into the stands, and these kind of things. And then you see, you know, the reports of the young French people trying to get over the gates. And you know what? To put it out there, I'm sure that from both sets of from both sets of fans, Madrid fans and Liverpool fans, I'm sure there was a very small minority who were ticketless trying to get in. Of course, I think every final every final has that every final. But to say that it is just that and to say that they were late is ridiculous. I mean, when you have thousands of Liverpool fans, I'd like to see the conflicting reports from Spain in terms of what they see of the situation or what Madrid fans have been saying because from their side, it looked kind of organised. I didn't really see too much going on or much reports going on from that side of the of the stadium. Um, but it was just the reaction to it. It doesn't. It doesn't surprise me in terms of like Marley was saying, the pepper spraying. There's zero need for it. When you look at the video, there was zero aggression coming from the fans. Um, but that just sparks aggression because it's like it's not just. It's not fair to be doing that kind of thing, um, and it affects your your whole experience completely. And for me, it's just complete lack of experience and organization and we've seen this before even when you go to for example the euros in 2016 there was a lot of fan unrest and the way the police were dealing with things was very very that was in in france as well joe yeah it was i remember in marseille and in all these different parts of uh, france and the way the police were dealing with it was very very questionable so you know these kind of things aren't a surprise to me and it just the way in which the whole event led up to this moment it screamed unorganisation and lack of transparency. And if they couldn't organise it, they should have shifted it to another country and another city who were well prepared instead of having to ship grass to a stadium clearly not prepared and to um, a police force in one of the biggest capital cities in the world, by the way, who clearly weren't prepared as well. It makes zero sense to me and I'm sure there'll be a massive inquest and there needs to be because it was absolute shambles and... Football fans shouldn't have to experience this kind of just 
mayhem it's just chaos for a thing that should be absolutely brilliant in terms of you know fan parks and everyone enjoying themselves not pretending that they're two hours late to an event that i'm sure they got there in the morning to and couldn't wait to get into the pitch it, it makes zero sense to me no i'm i'm with you every step of the way in what both of you lads have said and i think that everything that we've said here is fair but what i want to know is if you were there i hope you're safe i hope you're well i hope if you were there with your family that you know you aren't too shaken up about it and if you do want to come on the podcast and share your experience of what happened at the Stade de France if you were there then do get in touch with us let us know you can send us a message on social media at the sports social on twitter it's at sports social official on instagram and if you just search for us on facebook sports social you can send us a message on there we'd love to hear your account and your stories if you were there but first of all hoping that you're safe and well and that it doesn't detract you from from visiting um, a stadium or a football match again uh, because of the circumstances that were experienced there, particularly for Liverpool fans as well, who, as Marley's already alluded to, um, have had experiences akin to the ones we saw in Paris in the past. So uh, hopefully everyone's safe and well. And it is a real shame and, and it's saddening, really, that we're talking about the Champions League final in this context rather than actually um, the game itself, of which there were plenty of high points to pick out. But we won't do that for now. We'll leave that there and we'll move on to Manchester United next, where Ralph Rangnick has been announced uh, that he won't stay at the club. It was originally thought that he'd be staying on as a consultant. Not to be the case now. We'll talk about it next after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got Joel and Marley alongside me. Welcome back to the podcast. And we're going to focus on Manchester United now, where Ralph Rangnick, the interim manager, we knew he was leaving the club to be replaced by Eric Tenag, but we thought he might be going upstairs to work in a consultancy role. Instead, the club have announced that the German won't be staying on. He will leave Manchester United entirely and focus solely on the Austria job. First question, I'll go to you, Joel, seeing as you're a Manchester United fan. Has the move to bring Rangnick in as an interim manager worked? Absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. I can't, I, I, I'm going to de- deconstruct this because this is just absolute ridiculousness. I couldn't... I it was... Right. Let's just start from the bottom. When he came in, there was so much uncertainty around that consultancy job and what it actually entailed that everyone was kind of scratching the head thinking, well, what is he actually going to do? Is, is it actually in cement? Is, is it signed that they're going to have some kind of role for him? Because I remember in his first um, interview where they said, so what's the consultancy going to be? And he said, well, we've not worked out the terms yet, but, you know, it's written, it's there, the agreement's there. And I think from that moment on, I kind of felt like the club weren't very committed to it. It was almost like a a little carrot stick to dangle to try and get him to come and do the caretaker job because it felt as though there weren't many options and they were desperate to try and get someone in. And I think the only way to get him in and secure him was to say, oh, actually, you know, you could be part of this project for the next two years, which I think may have tilted the scales for him. And I think the fact that he's been let go of now and United have communicated that it's Rangnick's choice to actually leave. I think that's so, such smoke and mirrors. It has to be. And I think it's John Murta's first chink in his armour in terms of the way in which it's been dealt with because if you're going to have a guy who 
his main strength is rebuilding clubs and creating a kind of vision and a strategy for how you should do it and then letting him go. I think there's just way more to it. I think it's purely due to the fact of how he behaved during the press conferences and what he said about the club because he knew that he was on his way out, but he kind of called he called a spade a spade, didn't he, pretty much? He basically said what the flaws are in the club. The board haven't been really supporting him in terms of transfers in January. They didn't want to sign anyone. He he, te- he said everything based on pure honesty. He, he wasn't like a manager in a three-year contract who was saying things like, what previous managers have said, which is, oh, the board, you know, they're supporting me really well. They were going after our targets. He just said it how it was, and it was correct. Everything he said was completely honest and correct. And now that they've let him go, I highly doubt that it... I think it was a United choice to let him go, to be honest. And I think it's purely because they didn't like the way in which he kind of turned on the club. And I don't think for one second that the agreement was going to be maintained by United. I just don't believe that for one second and I just I'm really disappointed because he seemed to know what exact direction the club needed to go into and he had such a good insight to it but then on the flip side I can also understand it in the fact that I'm sure a lot of the players may have lost respect for him in terms of the way in which he kind of called them out in public I know half of them will probably leave but the way in which he went about it I don't know if it left a distaste in the club, which maybe Ten Hag doesn't want kind of trailing around while he's there. I highly doubt he even had a say in it, to be honest, but I just think it's really disappointing how it all came around and how it seemed really promising, as we've seen in his work in Leipzig and in uh, Salzburg and the signings that he made there, and now it's just going to be completely stripped away. I think it's just a a shot in the foot, and I think it's the first disappointment we've seen from Murta. And if he doesn't have a big summer this year in terms of getting the recruits that Ten Hag wants, he's going to be under pressure straight away. Um, so he's got a very big few months coming up for himself now because I think this is just un- unorganised mess again. Yeah, here's what the statement says, an official Manchester United statement. It says, by mutual agreement, Ralph will now focus solely on his new role as manager of the Austria national team and will therefore not be taking up a consultancy role at Old Trafford. Eric Ten Hag was asked, in his first press conference, whether Rangnick will stay and liaise with him. And Tenag simply said the decision will be made by the club. So United say it's mutual. Uh, Tenag said that United will be making the decision. It's hard to know too much. I mean, Joel suggests, Marley, that something possibly can be read into the fact that he isn't staying at Old Trafford. But was an interim manager the right way to go? The way to give Tenag a clean start this pre-season and give him a whole pre-season rather than halfway through a season? Because... Some people will argue Jurgen Klopp took over Liverpool midway through a season and he seems to have done okay. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um there's you know, there's 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 cases for 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 appointing interim and there's the cases for, for not. I would say that you can't get the best uh available man for the job more often than not. You can't get them during the season unless you've got, you know, the perfect perfect storm like Klopp, for example. Um, was coming from where Dortmund wasn't it, and he wasn't. Uh, he, they weren't winning the league at the point. At that point, Ajax were different. Ajax had ambitions in the Champions League still. Um, they were obviously uh, trying to win the Eredivisie for however many times in a row they've won it now. Seven, I think it is. Um, but it's it's just. I mean, I I agree with Joel. It's it's just a total mess from 
from start to finish this whole thing of like yeah we'll get Rangnick and you know he's he's one of the most sort of sought after uh, directors of football and then we'll put him in there in the summer but you to then put another guy underneath him you have to be sure that they'll work together like they and they didn't know at the time they didn't even know when when Man United appointed Rangnick, they didn't know whether they were going to appoint Ten Hag or Pochettino or someone else. They didn't. They didn't know that. So how can you ask? How can you ever be sure that Ten Hag will want to work with Rangnick when you don't even know that you're going to hire Ten Hag? It makes no sense. So the, I'm not surprised that that Rangnick's walked away, um, whether it's mutually or whether he was pushed or whatever. Because I think one thing we're seeing from Rangnick is. He hasn't managed a club in eight years, um, and I think he was just doing that as a as a favour, like you said before, of um, you know get him get him in the club, let him have a look at the squad up close, and then he can move upstairs in the summer. I think he wanted to do that, um, but then I think what what Man United need needed when they had Rangnick in is is honesty, someone to come in and go. This squad is not good enough. He's crap. This guy's crap. You need three midfielders. You need two more defenders and another striker or whatever it might be. And then he's come in and said that. And then they've gone, oh, well, we don't really like that. And then it's almost like he's they've, they've seen him as too abrasive when you need a mix of characters at a football club. You need someone who, who like Joel said, you know, someone calls, someone is a spade, you call them a spade. And then that's it. Like, you know, whether it's um, whether it's nice and everyone wants to hear it, or whether it's not nice and no one wants to hear it, you need to have a, a different mix of of uh, of characters to to make a club. In in my opinion, you you can't have everyone just thinking the same thing and and thinking inside the box. You need someone to go. You know what? We we want to finish top six, and this guy from right back has got two assists in his career or something like that, and. That's not good enough. We need someone better. You need somebody like Timber, Ajax, or somebody else, whoever it may be. Um, and it's not, it's not really sustainable. So I think this whole last year of of um, well, when was Solskjaer sacked? Was it like November? I think November wasn't it? Yeah. So this last seven months has been a total waste of time for Man United. They've been, they've been not even treading water. They've been slowly drowning because this is this this has just cost them seven months in their whole long-term vision and if you'd kept Solskjaer for that seven months would would things have um have been would would the club need as much work now um because I'm not sure it wouldn't have needed more work it might needed it might have needed as much work but if you'd have said in March Solskjaer's uh gonna step aside at the end of the season and we're gonna bring in Ten Hag I think everybody would have been like okay great we've had uh, Ollie's ran his time um, and now we'll go for Ten Hag and see if he can get anything more out of this squad because um, at the minute, seven months have just passed and, and Man United have got nothing to show for it. Yeah, I mean, some people might argue, though, that the players have been so poor this season that they've kind of, you know, they've cost Ole Gunnar Solskjaer his job and, you know, Ralph Rangnick hasn't been able to get much of a tune out of them either. I think his win percentage is 38%, which means he leaves Manchester United with the worst win rate of any manager in their Premier League history. And I think the worst of the last 50 years or something like that. I might be mistaken there in that um, statistic, but certainly the numbers don't look good. Some of the positives and negatives of his spell in charge. I think you're right to talk about the honesty, both of you. He was stingingly honest in some of his press conferences, um, particularly when it came to dealing with players. For instance, 
Um, he was asked a lot about Cavani, asked a lot about Lingard, asked a lot about Anthony Martial. I mean, the Martial one for me is one that sticks out particularly, Joel, because he said that Martial refused or asked not to be involved in the squad. Martial then took to social media to dispute that claim. And then a few weeks later, he was on loan at Sevilla and out of the door. So I think that there are some interesting little moments that we can pick out of Rangnick's tenure and analyse in a bit more detail. I mean, the honesty is certainly something which has been on the scales, let's just say, in terms of whether fans like it or they don't. I've seen some supporters say that Rangnick, despite his terrible win record and the fact it's been a little bit of a shambles, he'll be remembered fondly purely because maybe he was the start of the new Manchester United era and the person that shook things up and said things that needed to be said in order to give Ten Hag uh, the platform he needs to go on and do what he might possibly do. But other people, as you mentioned, Joel, maybe feel that that was not the right thing to do, throw the players under the bus, because we've seen managers in the past put their arm around players like Sir Alex Ferguson famously protected his players a lot of the time and built them up. And then therefore the players felt an obligation not to let him down and they built up trust with Ferguson. So what are some of the positives and negatives of his spell in charge? Because it sounds like for you, there wasn't many positives. Can you find any? I mean, on the pitch, it has been a disaster and I don't think you can even protect Rangnick in that front because I'm sure if the club went for a person who hadn't just been a sporting director for the last five or six years, I think it probably would have gone even better and we might even be talking about a side going into the Champions League next season. So I think on that front, it was a very big oversight from United. I'm sure, you know, we needed someone like a... a, um, What's the... What's the Chelsea guy that they always get every single time there's a disaster in the game? Hiddink. Yeah, Hiddink. We needed a Hiddink type guy who could just come in with a great football in mind, get them playing and get them motivated. And it felt like with Rangnick, I don't know if there was lack of respect towards him or there was just, it, it just didn't click. It never clicked once. And on that front, that that has been a very big disaster on his part because, like you mentioned, he's probably got the worst win rate of any manager uh, at United. And considering the players at his disposal, I mean, it's, it's pretty poor that. But then on the flip side, you have to say, I don't think any of those players deserve protecting, to be honest, because the way in which they went out on the pitch, regardless of if you've been motivated by your manager or not, you're a professional football player. You have to set yourself your own standards as well and the way some of them strolled around the pitch every single person saw it especially that game against Brighton which honestly tipped the scales for me in terms of the professionalism and the way in which they'd literally checked out of the season half of them were already looking towards who they were going to sign to next and that was just completely symbolic of what they had become and what the club had become in that moment and that's why I think it was so important that Randnick actually called it out for what it was because no other manager was able to because they were under contract. And I know Randnick was under contract, but he had no loyalties towards United. And that was the reason why he was allowed to be so explicit in what he was saying. And I think now that it's on the record and everyone can see the insights of what he's been talking about in terms of, you know, like you mentioned, Niall, how he was talking about Lingard, um, I think one time not wanting to turn up because of some reasons and Rangnick seemed to be quite annoyed by that and just the way in which the players lacked that professionalism and commitment. Now that a manager said it, the club have nowhere to hide now. Before it was always, you know, those very small subliminal little leaks coming from the press where everyone was 
kind of second guessing it thinking is it true is it not but when it comes from the mouthpiece from the dressing room that's when you know you have to take ears and realize there's a huge problem behind the scenes and i'm glad he said it but i'm also not glad with how the season turned out because it was easily salvageable by the time he took over and we didn't progress at all just quickly then marley and finally on this one how will ralph rangnick be remembered will he in six seven years time be remembered as the man who got this new manchester united revolution started and helped bring the club back to where they want to be or will he be a footnote in a pub quiz question when you're naming all of the manchester united managers post alex ferguson and there's always one you forget and it might well be him so <laughs> how do you think he'll be remembered yeah i think he'll be one of those um quiz questions that you uh you know when you're filling in the blanks on one of those uh, things that it's like who managed man united from november to to uh to may 2022 21-22 it's um i don't know because it it could be the start of something like and that's how man united fans should should hope that it's the start of something because i think there was there's always too many yes men at man united and and everybody saying yeah we're one of the biggest clubs in the world look at us commercially blah 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 and, and ignoring how bad they were as a team and i think to start off that process of getting better as a team, you need someone to come in and say, "Well, actually, we're a bit crap everywhere, lads. We need in- we need investment, we need improvement, we need a playing style." Um, and wh- and if if Rangnick can be the guy who starts that process and then hands it over to Ten Hag, who can run with the baton a little bit, you know, that could be the start of something something bigger. But I can't see Rangnick getting too much praise because people will just look at his, his win record and, and his points total and say well he was in charge when you know we we recorded our lowest ever um, Premier League points total since God knows when um, but it could be the start of something and, and it, it has to be really because you know Man United have needed to go back to the drawing board for a little while now um, and if, if Ragnick could be the guy who's sort of Got the got the eraser and wiped everything off the whiteboard for for Ten Hag to start, um, to start sort of afresh. Then he could be like an, a bit of an unsung hero sort of thing, and maybe maybe he might not get the credit he deserves by coming in and, and telling the truth. Um, but sometimes you need that as as a club. Yeah, certainly do. Well, we'll wait and see what happens in the future for Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag. But the latest news is that Ralph Rangnick will not be staying on at Old Trafford as a consultant, as was originally set to be the case. That is it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. We'll be back again on Wednesday. I'm sure there'll be loads more Premier League news to get stuck into, including the latest transfer gossip. It's just ticked up on my Twitter here that Bayern Munich have apparently made a €30 million bid for Sadio Mane from Liverpool. And Sadio Mane has been talking up potentially his potential future at Liverpool that might be one we discuss on Wednesday whatever the case you can keep right up to date with all of the latest information on this podcast by hitting subscribe that is it from us today though and we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Sports Social Daily